The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastabl.org. church. Man, what a morning so far. I'm so glad to see all of you. Uh, If you're new around here, my name is Brian, and uh, I have the privilege of being the lead pastor of this congregation. Um, If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, uh, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 3, as Larry mentioned. So we're not just beginning a new year, but in many ways, we're beginning a new congregation. Uh, If you aren't familiar, if if you're new around here, Back in the spring of last year, Missio Day Church and Bent Creek Baptist Church uh, began having conversations, uh, initially just about us renting space here, uh, but quickly those conversations turned into more. What would it look like for these two congregations to come together in partnership, in the partnership of the gospel? And so uh, last fall, we announced uh, to the church, both churches, that we that our elders had intentions of coming together. In October, we ha- held a vote and uh, it, it was approved by a, a combined total of 95%, which was a clear indication to us that the Lord was leading us in this direction. In November, we began worshiping together at our previous space uh, as one new congregation under the new name, Steadfast Church. Uh, as we started renovations here, you can see they're not quite completed. Uh, we're, we're grateful for the work that's been done and hope that the kids uh, wing will open up next week. And we were able to move in here for Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day. And now we launch into the year 2023 with gratitude for what only God could do. And with expectation and with great hope for what he will continue to do through us and in us together for the glory of God and for the good of this city. Amen. And there's a lot at stake, brothers and sisters. There's a lot at stake. Sadly, it is more common in our world today to see churches splitting and dividing than it is to see them coming together in unity. And there are many, some of you maybe even here today, there are many even in our own city who, who think the church is irrelevant to our modern culture. Or, or even worse, some think the church is downright harmful to society. And if we're honest, we can't really blame them. And yet, at the very same time, where do people still go when life comes crashing down around them and they need help? They come to church and they expect to find God here. They expect to be helped. And you know what? Those expectations are right. And so you and I together, this church has a high calling to display imperfectly but visibly, tangibly, something of the glory and the mercy and the love of God to a watching world. Now, this series we're beginning today uh, will serve essentially as the inaugural membership class for this new church, for Steadfast Church. So whether you have previously been part of Missio Day, previously been part of Bent Creek, or find yourself somewhere in the middle, this, this six-week series is going to function as our membership class. So um, my aim in this series is really not so much to get down into the nitty-gritty, you know, minutia of the bylaws and stuff like that. Those documents will be available 
for you, but my aim in the series is to paint a picture for us of the kind of church that we believe Jesus is calling us to become. And so then you will have an, an opportunity at the end of that six-week series to indicate whether or not you want to formally become a, a member of this new congregation together. And so I figured, why not start in the, the foundational place, which is the, the gospel? Why not start with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the foundation of the church itself? So if you'll join me in John chapter 3, I'm going to pick up in verse 16 and read to verse 21 to give us context. Primarily, as Larry mentioned, I'll be just in verse 16 today, but I want to read all of it to give us a little context here. So John chapter 3, starting in verse 16, says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now here it said, Fast Church, when I read the text, I'll say, this is the word of God. Then you can respond, thanks be to God. So this is the word of God. That sounds awesome, by the way. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your mercy and kindness to us. We are grateful for the partnership in the gospel that you have allowed us to enter into. We are so grateful for... Um, just your steadfast love to us and, and the way that that's been demonstrated as Bent Creek and Missio Day have come together uh, formally as one new congregation. And we are so excited for the future together. And so, uh, Lord, keep us low before you. Keep us humble. Keep us um, looking out for one another instead of ourselves, serving one another instead of ourselves. And, and may the favor and the beauty of the Lord our God rest upon us. We ask you to do what only you can do in our hearts, even this morning as we look at this very familiar passage of Scripture. Would you minister to each one of us at our deepest point of need or unbelief? And would our response to you as we sit under the authority of your word be that of surrender, of worship, of praise to our great God? So Lord... Help me, Holy Spirit, please come and fill me as I proclaim this word that it might be rightly divided and that it might glorify you and edify these people. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Now, as I said, John 3.16 is probably the most familiar, famous passage of scripture. It might compete with uh, Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, but everybody seems to know this verse. Uh, even if you didn't grow up in church, it's going to be at every sporting event on poster board, you know, probably see it at the football games this afternoon. And this is actually the text that the Lord used to, to convert me, to bring me to faith when I was 15 years old at a little Southern Baptist church on the east side of town here. But I wonder if we've ever just sort of slowed down a little bit and thought this verse through. That's what I would like to do this morning in our time together is just slow down and think 
this verse through. So my points will sort of follow with the verse, but let, let's get going here. The text tells us, verse 16, for God so loved the world. Well, that raises a good question, doesn't it? Who is God? Who is God? So, so the first point will be who God is, if, you wanna, if you're a note taker and wanna write that down. I believe it was um, A.W. Tozer, the great theologian and pastor who said, uh, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. This is a massively important question. Who is God? And if, if we were to, I mean, you could do this on YouTube. Just go and uh, look up on YouTube, who is God? And you'll find a bunch of these, what they call man on the street interviews, right? Where they just put a microphone in, somebody, in front of somebody and they go, hey, who's God to you? And, and they'll start with this. Well, I think that God is like this. I think God is like that. And what happens is when we are posed with that question, many of us tend to start speculating and we shape a concept of God around who we are and who we want God to be. We create a God in our own image. And most of us will create a God in our own image to such a degree that he or she agrees with us on everything, affirms us always, never challenges us, never calls us to change. But that's also a God, brothers and sisters, who cannot save you. Uh, there's a, a pastor named uh, Greg Gilbert. He wrote a little book, a little fantastic little book called What is the Gospel? And uh, in it, he gives this sort of fictional account of, of, of that kind of interview. And I wanna, I wanna read a portion of it for you because I think it, it really keys in on some of the ways that we think about God. So this is what he says. Let, let me introduce you to God, lowercase g. You might wanna lower your voice a little bit before we go in. He might be sleeping now. He's old, you know, and doesn't much understand or like this newfangled modern world. His golden days, the one he talks about when you really get him going, they were a long time ago, before most of us were even born. That was back when people cared what he thought about things and considered him pretty important in their lives. Of course, all that's changed now. And God, poor fellow, he just never adjusted that well. Life's moved on and passed him by. Anyway, a lot of people still like him, or at least he seems to keep his poll numbers up. And you'd be surprised how many people even drop by and visit and ask for things once in a while. Thank goodness, all that crankiness that you read about, you know, in his old books, about him uh, swallowing people up with the earth or raining fire down on cities, that sort of thing, all that seems to have faded in his old age. Now he's just a good-natured, low-maintenance friend who's really easy to talk to, especially since he almost never talks back. And when he does, it's usually to tell me through some sort of weird sign that what I want to do regardless is all right by him. That really is the best kind of friend, isn't it? You know, the best thing about him, though, he doesn't judge me ever for anything. Oh, sure, I know deep down inside he wishes that I would be better, more loving, less selfish, and all that. But he's realistic. He knows that I'm human and nobody's perfect. And I'm totally sure that he's fine with that. Besides, forgiving people is his job. It's, it's what he does. He is love, right? And I like to think of love as never judging, only forgiving. That's the God I know, and I wouldn't have it any other way. 
I wonder if any of that resonates with some of you. Now, I don't know all of you, so I'm going to be as gracious and tender as I can. With all due respect, it doesn't matter who you think God is. It only matters who God says he is. And God has graciously revealed himself to us in the pages of the scriptures. And here's what we find when we open the Bible from the very beginning page, we see this. I am God Almighty. God is spirit. He is self-existent. He is the uncaused cause. There is no beginning to him, nor there is there any end to him. And yet he's not just this thing. He's a person. God interacts with humanity. God feels things. God, God speaks. God listens. God is the creator and the sustainer and the uncontested ruler of the entire universe. God is sovereign over every atom and every molecule in every object in every galaxy in the entire cosmos. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Which means he is the absolute standard of all truth and all goodness and all beauty everywhere forever. God is holy, 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 as the seraphim cry out in Isaiah chapter 6, which is a call to the absolute purity and perfection of God. He always is and always does what is right. Paul in Romans chapter 11, after his theological treaty, treatise on, on who God is and what God has done, says this, Romans chapter 11, uh, let's see here. I thought I marked my page. Here we go. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of God or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God. And yet amazingly, God does not despise this world. What does the text say? God loves this world. He loves this world. So, so that's the next question we need to answer is, how does God love this world? Look at the text with me. Verse 16 again. You guys with me so far? For God, what? So loved the world. That's a little tiny word with a big, big impact. How did he love this world? That's my second point. How God loves. How does, how does God love this world? He loves it so much. And it isn't because we are so lovable. It's because he is love. 1 John 4. Listen, honestly, we are so unlovable, are we not? Look back at verses 19 and 20. What does it say? This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. Now, it doesn't take a lot of thinking 
or contemplation for all of us to admit and recognize that this world is in darkness and evil. It's almost all we read about in the news, isn't it? This world is so full of arrogance and pride and self-sufficiency and entitlement and anger and suspicion and division. We seem to increasingly have, um, or I guess decreasingly have patience for one another or grace for one another in this world. Every day on the news, we see and read about people who are using other people for their own gain. And yet somehow simultaneously, this world is also too self-sufficient and too good for God. Now it's hard to admit, but deep down, we all know this is true of us as well. We've all done things and tried to cover our tracks. We've all done things in the dark and tried to cover them so that they do not get exposed. Um, and in our weakest, most vulnerable, darkest moments, every single one of us, is, fear, is ashamed of who we really are at the core. Some of us walk in a constant fear of being exposed. And even th- just if we, if we had a way to sort of follow you around, each one of you, and myself included, and record all the thoughts that go through our minds just in a week's time. And then we gathered, gathered in here on Sunday morning and we just put them up on the screen. We said, okay, here are the thoughts of Pastor Brian this last week. And they just scrolled across there. Here are the thoughts of you and you and you. And, they just, and we just sat there and watched them all. I believe we'd all run straight out of this door, wouldn't we? <laughs> we, we couldn't stand it. We would be so full of shame for the things that we have thought, much less the things that we've done. So the truth is painful. It's very painful to see ourselves in that kind of light, to admit that we are far worse than we would ever dare admit to someone. And yet, because of this particular scripture right here, we are also promised that we are far more loved than we could ever dare hope. How loved are we? So loved that God gave his only son. Only means unique, Um, irreplaceable. In other words, God sent his only, his unique, his irreplaceable son, the one who was promised from ages ago to be our rescuer and our redeemer. And he came to be our only, our unique, our irreplaceable way back to God. And this is the beauty of this gospel that we proclaim. In the middle of our foolishness and our sin and our failure and our stupidity, God sent his son. What does verse 17 say? Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He didn't come with a scowl on his face. He, he didn't come rolling his eyes at us because we had failed one more time. He came on a rescue mission. He came with 
tenderness in his heart to redeem and to restore all of those who would receive him with empty hands. Jesus came to open our eyes to the reality of who we are apart from God. He came to open our hearts. He came to reveal God's love for sinners like us through his cross. What do I mean? Uh, Let me just read for you a few verses that sort of summarize this gospel that we proclaim from various uh, chapters of the New Testament. I'm going to go quickly here, so maybe just if you want to jot down the the verse, you can look it up later. Romans 5, chapter 8. Sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I do that a lot. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. For God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't ask us to come clean ourselves up and make ourselves acceptable. He came after us in our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, God made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. God treated the perfect Jesus as though he bore our sin so that we could be clothed in the righteousness of God himself. Ephesians chapter 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 22, for in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him, through Jesus Christ, to reconcile in himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Hebrews chapter 10, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And 1 John 4, 9 and 10, in this is love, sorry, in this is the love of God, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Listen to this. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a big theological word. It simply means this, that God, that Jesus absorbed the justice of God that was due to you and I for our sin. And he absorbed it all, and he turned that justice, that wrath of God into favor towards those who would receive him. Isn't that good news? This is the best news ever. So listen, there is no other savior. There is no other hope because every other hope is either implicitly or explicitly based on how deserving we are. It's a credit score gospel. If you've been around uh, Missio before, you've heard me say this, okay? How do you get a loan? You gotta have a good credit score. How do you have a good credit score? You gotta be really smart with your money and don't make stupid decisions. It's workspace righteousness. If you have a bad credit score, you're considered what? Credit risk. Ain't nobody gonna lend you money for your credit risk, son. What do you have to do? You have to work really hard and be really good and be really smart in order to build back up your credit score. Many of you have gone through this workspace righteousness to live in this town. The gospel 
is real-time grace for credit risks like us. It is real-time grace, not just for the undeserving, but for the ill-deserving. Brothers and sisters, God's love is unfathomably deep. And it is insanely wide enough for all of us. Even for you. Even for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Here's the next question. What do we stand to gain? What do we stand to gain? Look at the verse again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So my third point is what we gain, what we gain. We've seen who God is. We've seen how God loves. So what do ill-deserving sinners like you and I stand to gain from this God? Look at the promise. Whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. Notice he doesn't say those with a good record will have eternal life and those with a bad record will perish. Is that what it says? No. What matters ultimately to God is not your record, but who you are believing in. Every single one of us in this room will either believe in Christ's ability to forgive our sin and we will gain eternal life, or we will continue to trust in our ability to manage our own sin and we will perish. Those are the only two options that are open to us. Now, whoever believes, that's a, that's a pretty wide 10, isn't it? That's a very inclusive word. Everybody fits under whoever. But those who believe have eternal life and those who refuse to believe will perish. That's exclusive. Those are the only two options open to us. And every single one of us within the sound of my voice has to decide for themselves. Will I believe in Christ to forgive my sins or will I continue to believe in myself and my ability to manage my own sin? But no sinner, no sinner who comes to God in true belief will ever be refused. So what on earth are we waiting for? Now, you have to ask the question, okay, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe in Christ? Because this word, belief, gets sort of generalized in our culture. Like if we think about a political candidate, we'll say, I really believe in him. And what we mean is I agree with his or her policies. That's not what this is talking about. This isn't just assent to some things you like about the person and work of Jesus. The, the word belief has the understanding of entrusting the entirety of who you are to him entrusting yourself wholly to him. In fact, uh, in the original language, it really says uh, more like believe, those who believe into him. Those who believe into him. Um, 
Theologians have called this union with Christ, this idea that when I entrust myself to Jesus Christ, I lose my wretched autonomy. And I am joined to Jesus Christ. I am so united with him that in a sense, all that is mine, namely my sin, is his. And all that is his, namely the righteousness of God, is mine. And my life is hidden with Christ in God. So that when God looks at you and I in Christ, he delights in, he honors, he accepts, he rejoices over you the way he does Jesus himself. And so, so real belief, real faith takes us all the way into Christ where he is the center of our lives. To those who believe in him, they will have eternal life. And to those who do not believe, they will be condemned. Okay, so here's the question I, I, I want to end with. If this is true, and I would argue that it is, for God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, so that whoever would believe into him would not perish, but will have eternal life, then what is the proper response for us as individuals and as a church to this crazy love of the Almighty God for ill-deserving sinners like us? How do we respond to that? What is the proper response to, to that amazing good news? I believe it shows up in, in two of the four gospel accounts. Uh, Jesus is speaking with religious leaders, and they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, the greatest commandment is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and, this, and also, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it mean to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with, our, with all our mind, and with all our strength? It first means that we cannot, we will not treat Jesus as an accessory to our already over-busy and over-scheduled lives. Jesus comes first. He is our priority, both individually as followers of Christ and as a church. Jesus comes first. And to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength means that we will, together, we will worship him because he is worthy of praise both privately in our daily grind and here together, we will worship God because he is worthy of all of our praise. We will pray to him because he is worthy of our dependence. We will, we will find ourselves feasting on his word because his words are worthy of being listened to, uh, of our attention. We will obey him 
because he is worthy of our surrender. We will serve him because he is worthy of our honor. To love him, it means we go all in on Jesus. Nothing that he cannot ask of us, nothing we will not surrender to him. And it's only, hear me clearly, it is only when real sinners find real forgiveness and real freedom in a real savior and really entrust and devote ourselves to the real Jesus that it'll make a real difference in our real lives and in this city. So for us as a church, we want to be centered on Jesus. Now, a lot of churches say they are, but listen, our actions betray what we say every single day. Our actions betray our values every day. And so we want to be, we will be a church that is centered on Jesus, that worships and prays and, and soaks in his word and obeys him and serves him because he is worthy. He alone is worthy. We pray that as we do this, as we together put Jesus first and devote ourselves to him, heart and soul and mind and strength individually and together as a church, that it'll make a real dent in the darkness of this world. Now, as I wrap up, I got four questions. I think, I think they have them. If they don't, I'll, uh, I'll give them to you. And you can write them down or you can... Um, or you can take a picture of the screen behind me when, when they're all up. But I, I like to end sermons with application questions, just things for you to think about and discuss on your way out of here. And so um, I got four questions. I'll put them up uh, one at a time, and then I'll pray for us and we'll be done here. The first question, just based on what we talked about, was what comes to mind when I think of God? And, and I might follow up with that and say, is it an accurate picture? When I think of God, what comes to mind? Is it how God has revealed himself in the scriptures to me? Or is it some other God that I've created in my own mind? How do I think of God? Tozer, again, what comes to mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. So what comes to mind? Is it an accurate picture? Secondly, how does the Bible's description of God's love through Jesus Christ impact me? No one, no one hears the, the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus, his perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection, and remains unaffected. No one can shrug that off. This is a true story of a real God who, who became a man and lived and died and rose again for you so that you might be forgiven and be reconciled to him forever. That news doesn't just roll off your back. So how does the Bible's description of God's love through the person work of Jesus Christ, how does that impact me? Third, who am I really believing in or entrusting myself to? Am I relying on him and him alone? Or am I still relying on myself, on my ability to be good, on my ability to manage sin, on my ability to uh, prove that I'm worthy? Who am I really believing in or entrusting myself to? 
And then finally, how does, this is maybe a question for us as we think about the, the upcoming year. I say upcoming like it's like tomorrow. It's already started. We're a week into this thing. How does my devotion to Jesus reflect my convictions about Jesus? If I say that he's God in the flesh, if I say that he's the most important thing uh, in the universe, if I say that he has loved me enough to give himself for me, how does my devotion reflect that? Is he really first in my life? Is he first in my calendar? Is he first in my bank account? Is he first in, in the time that I devote? How does my devotion to Jesus reflect my convictions about him. So uh, I'm going to leave these questions up on the screen. Again, you can take a picture if you want to or write them down. I'm going to pray for you, uh, and then we're going to respond. So uh, here at Steadfast Church, we celebrate communion uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, because we're, this is our first time in this space doing communion, we're going to try it this way. So hear me clearly. We're going to start dismissing from the front to the back, okay? And so each of you on the front will come out to the left side, Okay, go up the aisle to the table that's behind your row, okay, and then you'll make your way back down the right side. And when I get up, I'll be, that'll be the signal the tables are open, and from the front row, we'll dismiss, go back, grab the elements, and then come back. You can uh, take them there. Um, does it make sense? This means yes, this means no? Okay, okay. Um, so we'll respond through communion, through giving. There are uh, black boxes at the, these two exits. So on your way to the communion station, you can drop uh, your offering in there. There's some, we don't have steadfast envelopes yet. And so uh, if you're a, a giver who likes to put your offering in an envelope, there are some larger envelopes on those tables. You can just take one of those, write your name on it, and pop it in the box. Um, we're also going to respond through singing. And so uh, the band's going to come back up and lead us in a few songs. Um, and then I'll, I'll dismiss us with a, a couple of announcements and a benediction. Um, if you need prayer, there are connect cards in the seat. You can, the back side of that connect card is used for prayer requests, so you can write those down, drop them in the black boxes as well. Um, I'll also be out in the foyer for just a little while if anyone wants to talk. And listen, um, if you have not surrendered to Jesus, today's the day. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus Christ. He gave him for you for you for you today's the day to surrender to give him your life so I'm going to pray for us um, if you want to talk about that I'll be out there in the lobby uh, but we'll respond through communion and singing and giving Father I thank you for these men and women and the children in the room I thank you for uh, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and I pray that if there's anyone within the sound of my voice today who does not know you, who, does not, who has not surrendered to the ferocious love of God through Jesus Christ, that you would bring them from darkness into light today. That there would not be fear of their evil works being exposed because they have seen and can experience that your love through Jesus Christ does not condemn them but saves them. pray that some would be freed today from addictions, would be freed from condemnation of their own minds, free from that gnawing feeling that they are not enough. A true freedom comes through Jesus Christ. So Lord, do the work that only you can do in the souls 
of your people this morning, for those of us who, who, who do know you and love you. Lord, strengthen our convictions. Strengthen our joy in Christ that we might love you more fiercely and cling to you more tightly and honor you more faithfully. Lord, as we respond now through communion, through giving, through worship and song, would you be honored and glorified and would you fill us with joy in your presence? We pray in the beautiful name of Jesus and pray by the power of your Holy Spirit.